Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Spencer Williams. Spencer is the creator, producer, and director of Walk the Night, a five-year-long, large-scale, sandbox, immersive series based on Shakespearean works. Previously, he worked on feature films and TV, including Castle on ABC, Hawthorne on TNT, and he wrote, produced, and starred in Milo Green's visual album for Warner Records. His current projects include Tales by Candlelight, a collaborative storytelling experience based in Scent that creates a candle, and the guest and the host make music, a recording experience literally anyone can participate in that creates a song. Spencer, how are you? We're very excited to have you. uh, I'm peachy keen, is what I am. How are you? We're doing fantastic. We're excited to talk to you because A... We've never talked immersive experience, and B, we know nothing about it. So this is going to be a really interesting one. That being said, my first question, regardless, is always, where are you in the world right now? Where am I in the world? I am in the new Tales by Candlelight location, actually. We've moved on up, so we've got a new, uh, a new spot in uh, Filipino town with uh, this great company that is called The Great Company. Wow, that was... Uh, both punny and uh, clunky story in my life. So that's where I am right now. We like punny and we like clunky. So before we even get into immersive, we want to talk about you. We want to find out about how you got to this point. Tell us about your origin story. How did you, did you always want to become a writer slash creator? Did you always know about this immersive experience world? Oh, no, I, I, I completely stumbled into this field <laughs> uh, entirely. I started out, gosh, from the age of, of, from the point that I could read and watch films on, on my own, wanting to be a, a filmmaker, uh, writer, uh, producer, and director. That was, that was my path come hell or high water. This came up uh, in 2012. I got hired to direct Haunted Corn Maze. I've got a good a good hefty theater background too. So I did that and because why would I ever make anything simple? I thought about how to make a really good through line for that and then started researching found as I was making that that there were a whole bunch of things going on not the least of which um is the uh flagship piece of uh punch drunk immersive from uh, the UK called Sleep No More, which is usually the thing that people hear of or know of vaguely when they think of immersive theater. And from that point on, there was just no turning back. Yeah, uh, immersive is just everything for me now. Starting from scratch, it might make sense to find out what immersive is. So you've been talking about it. Obviously, we mentioned the works that you've got going on right now, but it might help to just start with a blanket what is immersive? How does it differ than, say, theater? The way that I like to describe it is that the main difference between um, immersive and other standard narrative work, film, theater, television, is you. Uh, in, in immersive, if we're doing our, our work well, we're uh, writing in second-person presence. You do this, you do that, you blank, you blank. We think of the audience member as um, an intrinsic part of the piece. Within that, there are two subsets of immersive, and that is interactive and experiential. Um, so you could you would say uh, Disneyland is experiential immersive theater. Um, you are going through those rides. You're smelling those smells you are uh you're interacting with those characters but it's still pretty uh unidirectional um in other words you kind of uh your choice is to go to disneyland 
um, and go see what you want. But the performers, the rides, base nothing on you. You could, you don't that that ride can go on without anybody on it, um, if that makes sense. The uh, other extreme is uh, what we call like the the one on one experiences, fully interactive, much more along the lines of say uh, uh, RPG. Um, role playing, they call them uh, LARPs, live action role play, and that is where uh, audience members are cast members. Audience members go through. Oftentimes, uh, <laughs> uh, they will oftentimes spend more time onboarding than in the actual <laughs> experience itself. So th- those are the two. Uh, I'll say those are the two extremes. But of course, there's. And it's a very, very large umbrella, um, as you can imagine. And then I think it might be helpful, again, before we go into the actual creation of all this, Mm. using what we now know about immersive, interactive, experiential. I'm going to read a description of Walk the Night and then a couple quotes. And then also, again, I'll kind of recap the two projects you have right now. But then maybe you can kind of walk us through specifically what those two experiences are like. So first... Walk the Night is an immersive experience that includes Tales by Candlelight, a collaborative storytelling experience based in scent that creates a candle, and the guest and the host make music, a recording experience literally anyone can participate in that creates a song. The quotes I have here, unlike anything I've ever seen, so compelling and engaging it felt like an adventure. Love it. Amazing. Fantastic. I hope we have more shows like this come to Omaha. We liked it so much, we're going back to see it again. Amazing. A 3D experience with theater. One of the most intimate theater experiences I've ever had. Uh, did the impossible it made me enjoy hamlet i can't remember the last time i enjoyed a show this much that's what people are saying about the experience tell us about tales by candlelight and the guests and the host make music specifically what are those experiences like just uh i also want to be uh just to be super clear um uh those are those are three experiences three separate um pieces that you just listed okay uh walk the night is one uh, guests and the host make music and tales by candlelight. That's all under the banner of walk the night, but, uh, just, yeah, I just want to be super clear. So some of those quotes were about walk the night, some of them about, uh, tales by candlelight, some of them about, uh, the guests and the host make music. Um, I don't know why it's important to be honest about that, but <laughs> I decided it was important to be honest about that. Well, I guess they all um, fall under the blanket of Walk the Night. So, and Walk the Night itself yeah. is its own immersive experience. Well, yeah, there's that, but it's also, they're very, very different um experiences particularly the difference between walk the night and the difference between guests and the host make music and uh tales by candlelight uh the latter two are are very intimate boutique pieces walk the night has that element to it but it's much larger it's a much larger scale project um so that said so let's start with the with um walk the night okay in terms of writing what we're doing and what the experience is for the audience member. Uh, so it's a uh, sandbox, meaning um, the audience can go anywhere and do anything, obviously within uh, safety uh, and within reasons uh, and following the basic rules of don't be a dick. So similar to Disneyland, the difference is so Hamlet, which was which was referred to, we broke out every single uh, character. We we condensed it down to fifteen um, characters by combining different parts, uh, and then gave each of those characters a through line that lasted the entire length of a plot that took place in real time. So the audience then um, essentially plays themselves having gone through a seance that have that have brought all of the ghosts of Hamlet back to uh to reenact or replay what happened the the night of the plot so it's sort of like the the audience for the ghosts are like ghosts following around the characters and sort of haunting them so for writing um we had 15 plots uh it was uh, an hour and a half of uh, production, so whatever the math is for that, for the hours of material that we right. had to generate. And uh, the audience could essentially flip between whatever, uh, whichever of those plot lines they so desired at any point in time. 
Now within that, uh, we also have what's called uh, one-on-ones. So each character we chose uh, sort of a seminal moment, um, at which point they would uh, select an audience member that was in front of them at that moment that they had felt either a peripheral or a direct connection with. They would uh, pull them into a room, not literally, um, with their consent, um, and they that person got a, a scene tailored specifically to and for them that was the the character or that actor playing that part. Their um, decision that they came to, a secret that they were revealing, a, a moment of guilt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then everything culminates uh, in the case of, uh, of Walk the Night, the original with Hamlet, um, in that pile of bodies that happens at the end of uh, right. that happens at the end of Hamlet. So that was that guy. And then we went on to do uh, same experiential format for. Uh, uh, King Lear, then um, Midsummer Night's Dream, then Romeo and Juliet, and then we finished out with uh, uh, the Tempest. Um, so those were those five, uh, those five pieces. All, by the way, in completely different locations, um, except for the last, uh, the last two, vastly, vastly different locations. All pretty large locations. Whew, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a lot. Yeah, it's it, it's intense. I mean, it, it's running it's running a television series, um, a fourteen episode series. It, it it really is, which the television background certainly uh, certainly helped with. I already have a lot of questions. Um, Let's I'm well thinking, then why don't we break that guy down first? Yeah, can, I think the that makes two sense. Are, are similar formats, but they're boutique. They're very much a horse of a different color. I think that makes sense. So you said there's five different. Pieces all based on Shakespearean yeah. plays. Okay. So my first question, you said that, you know, obviously the audience can go anywhere, do anything within the rules, uh, and the actors are all playing out these real-time kind of uh, stories. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming the actors interact with the uh, audience. Where do you draw the line on whether they can get derailed or where that will affect the story? Because obviously they're having to hit certain notes. Where do you draw that line as to, you know, getting too, uh, you know, involved with the audience? The audience in um, in that case, if, if you think about the level of, of audience involvement, the audience is a chorus um, for, for the Walk the Night series. Um, in, in, in other words, there's a level of participation that goes on, but it doesn't affect and cannot affect the timing. Because there are so many moving parts. Um, uh, whenever someone leaves a room, it's a scene transition. Right. And to have those big group scenes, everyone has to be able to be in the right place at the right time. But that's how you make that cue. Within that, you think of the audience as various dance partners. Um, the, the lines and uh, blocking are much more fluid, but they, the timing is uh is is virtually set um uh the the whole thing is actually set to a soundtrack um that's how we're able to keep people um and the same cues so you know the the length of a scene is in some cases the length of a song so the actor is able to time everything uh and know okay that song is over regardless of of um, if, if I had an audience member that, uh, that, that I had to take more time with or take more care with, I have to move on. And then they would do so. Um, uh, the other thing is, like I say, the audience is a chorus. So I would essentially, uh, we would cast them as members of the court, uh, in the case of Death Mark Love, which was the specific adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. They were, they were members of House Capulet or of House Montague. But that that that's it. Um, right. They don't play anyone that would affect the plot. The music that you mentioned, that's playing for everyone to hear, or that's something that's in an earbud and that they're following, or that's everyone. Everyone's everyone hearing that. Gotcha. Um, once in the in the later in the latter years, um, we actually did a live soundtrack. So, in other words, we had in a in a common room, almost I wouldn't call it a cabaret, but 
it was something where you could, um, if someone wasn't that mobile, they could just sit in the, in the, in the common room, stay there and live music would happen there. And then that live music, uh, was, um, uh, you could hear it throughout the venue, um, by, uh, strategic placements of, uh, speakers, um, uh, obviously linked to the, to the mics. And as far as the characters themselves, you said they're either a member of the two families. What is that initial meeting before they go into this experience to look like? What are the, the rules? What are the, how do you set expectations? What does that initial kind of meeting with the audience members look like? The best way that I can frame it for you is in terms of uh, uh, video games. The audience steps in and they get a tutorial. When we're doing our job well, that tutorial is in the world, feels fluid, and then gives them the idea of what can and can't be done. So uh, in, in my own style, uh, not speaking for, uh, for anyone else, I, I would always have for Walk the Night will, um, what we would call the proprietor. So this is the, either the owner of the establishment, the main guide of the establishment, like the, the central figure, um, uh, as close to a, a, an authority figure as, as one would, um, as one would have, uh, they lay out the, the rules, which is don't talk unless spoken to, don't touch unless asked to touch, don't take unless, uh, unless given basically boiled down, wait for an invitation to do anything, but go anywhere, make your own path. Um, and then they're given, again, in that sort of tutorial fashion, this sort of introduction as to what the world uh, is. But um, before then, the program is, a, for lack of a better term, it's an immersive program. Um, so the tone of the piece is already in the, in the description of what they're about to go to. So they're getting the premise, mm -hmm. if they read the program or not. But they're, you're beginning to play, for, for me, you're beginning to play the second that you buy the ticket. And then there's a clear, uh, a clear transition that um, releases someone into the first level, if we're going back to, uh, to the gaming reference. You mentioned at one point that sometimes a character might choose one audience member and bring them into a room to reveal mm -hmm. maybe a certain moment. How does that affect the other audience members? How do they find out what that you, secret is? And you can find out what the secret is by talking with the person afterwards, but it's meant to be an intimate moment I when see. we made them so that people could barely describe them. Um, in the same way that uh, I'll go back to um, to uh, to Hamlet, um, that we wanted to give someone an emotional moment that would barely that would sort of defy description, which is really what we go through in life, right? Even as writers, on a basic level, if <laughs> if what was being uh, experienced in life could could be fully captured into words, then we would not have all of the poetry, stories, and uh, uh, media that we have about the various emotions and experiences that we go through. So in that way, we try to create those moments where someone is barely able to describe the moment that they had um, with a person um, by themselves in another room. Uh, and it, it really becomes for them. You miss out. Um, so there is kind of a FOMO. But in the same way, uh, well, with 14 characters and an hour and a half piece, that's 21 hours of material, you're going to get your 90 minutes. You're not going to get someone else's 90 minutes. You're going to get your experience. Um, you can piece together based uh, with a communal effort afterwards. But it is participation in a live event in that way. You know, you mentioned there are obviously rules and, you know, people are kind of moving through different spaces. And I think something that a lot of people ask just in general about these type of things is the liability side. Is there any danger to people going into this kind of experience? And also from your perspective, is there a liability to it? Just because it is a little bit of a, there's not a full control over it, correct? We don't have, the, the liability for us is the equivalent of, uh, of a party. A party with people playing party games. Uh, I, there is a tremendous amount of care taken for what the audience experience is and what it's going to be. Those one-on-ones, for example, we take a lot of time with them. It's not just a, it's a very long and ardent rehearsal process that includes um, uh, bringing in test audiences, making sure that movement is safe 
Um, it's, we also have crew members in the case of that they're sort of embedded crew members, but they're, they're clearly wearing black and have, uh, uh, and, and are clearly marked in case there is any um, any trouble, um, either uh, to prevent someone from getting hurt or if someone has a problem that's uh, an authority figure or someone that they can go to right away. And, and we have uh, protocol processes, um, processes, um, a, and any given process to take uh, to take care. Um, so I, I appreciate that question. It's a it's a major issue of responsibility in immersive as a field to take care of the audience member as you would a cast member. And then as far as the writing itself, when you sit down to work on this, I guess, and we can just start at the beginning. How did you come up with this idea? Where did this come from? And how did you choose to do five Shakespeare stories as opposed to just one? And where did it all come from? Really good question. I'll start backwards. The five was never, uh, I didn't set out to do five. I didn't say that these were going to be the pieces. The fifth one, uh, The Tempest, was Shakespeare's last piece, and it just felt like the right note to end it on. Um, that that last monologue of Prospero, um, you know, uh, uh, oh man, it's been too, I did it a year ago, and I, I used to be able to rattle off the quote, but he's releasing the audience. He says, um, now I'm without all of my um, uh, without all of my magic. I have no art. Uh, I don't, you know, I have no art to. Um, uh, I'm, I'm letting go of this magic. Um, the rest is in your hands. Essentially, we were there. It was just a major transition. Things were happening uh, in LA with these other two pieces. It just felt right, and that's why we that's why we stopped it. Um, creatively and artistically, I just felt like we'd. I asked every question that I could ask and, um, and that the, the group had, it just felt right. Um, setting out to write it, what compelled me to do it was after seeing, uh, sleep no more, which changed and solidified this different direction for me. Um, and, uh, working, with these uh, haunted corn mazes, with um, uh, also strong uh, Shakespearean plots. My first, the first corn maze I did, I based on Titus Andronicus because Titus Andronicus Texas Chainsaw is too fun not to do. Um, so after doing this sort of through line and then experiencing Sleep No More, which pointedly um, doesn't have an easily trackable through line, I wanted to make a piece that the plot could be accessible uh with relative ease and you could track a character's story because i'm interested in that uh, i you know i come from that sort of background i'm an industry brat whose father was a writer and and is a writer and that's so that's where my interest is so um my desire to do uh walk the night came from that and then finding this fantastic collaborator, um, this dream collaborator in Blue Bar Theater and Susan Clement-Tober, the um, producing artistic director over there, who basically had, had seen other stuff that I'd done and just trusted, um, just believed in and trusted what we could do. So um, with that, then more and more collaborators popped up. It just became the right thing to do at the right time. How it happened it's a large matter of, of taste for me. I got to a point in television, and, and just to be very clear with television, I, I was none of what I did in TV was uh, glamorous. I kept my, uh, I have a tendency to, to get really quiet in those situations and just absorb. Um, and what I started absorbing and seeing more and more was that I could see the writer's room in the stories. Um, which is not to speak ill of any show that I was a part of. It just became a part of my aesthetic that I wanted to differentiate from. So the way that I did that was I viewed the, the actors um, and applied theater uh, to the writing. Uh, the way I mean that specifically is in theater, the curtain goes up and it's no longer the creator's show. 
the actors have the reins. It's it's the actors and the performers and the stage managers show. You're you know that's it. Um, in film and TV, you are you choose every single second. So in merging the two for me, this was such a great answer creatively. I just treated the actors as the individual episodic writers of their parts. I made sure uh, on an executive is like the EP, um, an artistic director, that everything timed out well, that everything made sense no matter where you were at a given point in time, uh, either thematically in terms of plot. Um, but they had, uh, but it, 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 their part was their part um, uh, to, a, to a great degree. Um, and that allowed us to do, it allowed a couple things. Pragmatically, it allowed us to get things done far better, uh, more efficiently, I should say. And I, it, it worked better for me because I can tell you every time I would, uh, I could feel when I had imposed something on someone. And that's not to say that it wouldn't be quote unquote good or bad. I've seen plenty of directors who have that despotic or tyrannic isn't uh, uh it's not that they're tyrants it's just that it's their way or the highway right. and that stuff can be great but it's just when an audience member can be two inches away from you i wanted it to feel um organic and natural i didn't want to feel the line and i didn't want them to feel me in it i wanted them to feel the story as it was lived through the character um and so then I was, we were able to just do that, line it up. Um, it also really helped me um, in diversifying, changing up, and and reapproaching what typecasting is, and going with completely different and unexpected uh, people in completely and different unexpected uh, roles. I should say completely different and unexpected from what our uh, Western. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, male-driven uh, culture is, you know, what that what that default goes to. Um, letting other people completely take the reins and just helping frame those reins, it opened up a ton for that, which is another conversation. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Specifically in regards to Hamlet, which I believe was the first, correct? Yeah, the first sandbox. First sandbox. As far as condensing it into real time, I assume from what I know about Hamlet, I don't believe it takes place in real time. How did you choose which moments would be included or how they would be included within a real time? How did you convert it? That framework was more me. So A, it was condensing parts um, for any Hamlet and Shakespeare geeks out there. I, um, I loved what we were able to do with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Uh, we condensed them and combined them with, uh, with the players, which is often 
um, which is often done. And then we also condense and combine them with uh, the, the grave diggers. Um, so it was their ghost scene. Beyond that, Hamlet actually works very, very well to be condensed at that point in time uh, at to a to a uh, an abbreviated point in time because it's all based. It all actually a lot of the plot happens virtually in real time. Um, and so the liberties that we took, you know, there's a reason why it's called Walk the Night. It's inspired by Hamlet, but it is not. Uh, uh, it's not Hamlet. It doesn't go by that by that title. So we took a lot of liberties cutting things and trimming things down that the the idea being that the basic premise that both walk the night as a series and walk the night which was the title for the hamlet piece was um uh from the line uh that has walked the night in hamlet which is hamlet the greater hamlet's father saying i am doomed to walk the night until the crimes done against me in my days of nature are burnt and purged away you know, I'm haunted by what happened to me. I'm going to continue to relive this um, until it's purged. So the question was, what if every character in Hamlet were doomed to walk the night until the, until the crimes done against them and their days of nature were burnt and purged away? So this was, this was the ghost story or the haunted house of Hamlet. It is not the plot of Hamlet. It is the ghosts, which gave us a lot of liberty to be able to say, to condense, uh, you know, seven lines down to one basic dance movement or one basic uh, uh, visual metaphor of a light going out. The idea being, we're not saying that that line, that those lines don't exist. We're saying that they're not experienced in that way um, in this sort of uh, spectral uh, reenactment. Um, so in that way, we were able to truncate and trim things, uh, trim things down. And, and that really just went across the board for, uh, for the whole Walk the Night series. Um, we, made, uh, we made elements of, uh, you know, in the case of Midsummer Night's Dream magic, in the case of King Lear, uh, it was haunted, uh, and so on and so forth. And in, in that way, I was able to... Um, I have a problem with people cutting Shakespeare haphazardly. I think any of us do. But I, I did learn a lot from uh, the, what the Oregon Shakespeare Festival does, um, uh, did and does. Um, Bill Rausch, who was the former artistic director there, uh, was my mentor in college. So the, the respect that goes into um, uh, uh, honoring a community that you're working in or a text that you're that you're um, adapting uh, is is really important to me. So, again, long winded way of answering your um, your <laughs> question, but uh, I hope that I can say we did it respectfully um, and uh, made the the cuts a part of the aesthetic. Walk the night is still going on right now. Are all five of those going on currently? Is there just one going on? Tell us if someone right now wanted to go experience Walk the Night. Where could they go right now, and what do they have to look forward to? Are there more coming out? Not officially. So no is the first, <laughs> is, the, is the simple answer to that. It was a five-year series. Each of those, um, uh, each chapter, each piece, each, uh, I guess it was more like a, oh, what's the, um, like a diptych, a triptych. They were pieces that existed in tandem, sort of in the same universe, but there wasn't uh you didn't follow one character from one piece to the next. It was just this sort of world um, uh, that exists of, of this sort of haunting nature. Uh, those pieces, um, absent a remount, um, I, I mean, I have the uh, I have the scripts, the outlines, the experiential scripts. Those still exist, but absent a remount, they are um, they are just standalone pieces. There is a, a there is another sort of set of questions that I have to ask with different, uh, with very different material um, that I think fits within that world, but it's something that's taking a longer time to do and still requires the right collaborator um, uh, in terms of location, which Location collaboration for uh, sandbox for really any immersive is is huge. 
location's the main character. Um, so I haven't found the main character yet. In the spirit of time, I want to be able to get into the other two projects as well. Are you cool to kind of go into the next project? Maybe Tales by Candlelight or? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. let's okay. do, I'm happy to do Tales. That's the one that's getting, we're getting a lot of love. And that's for. going on right now. Correct. Okay. Both of okay. the boutique pieces okay. are. Gotcha. They're horses of a different color. And uh, Tales by Candlelight, we just found out, is um, we're presenting and getting uh, featured in um, Tierfest, the Here Festival, which is the International uh, Immersive Design Summit that's happening in Los Angeles at the uh, at the end of March here, which is uh, which is I'm elated about and excited about. Um, so let's yeah, let's jump into that. Cool. And you said that for Tales, you could actually kind of walk me through an experience. Yeah, I can give you a taste. Okay. Yeah, it's it's these things are always better experienced than talked about. So uh, with Tales by Candlelight, obviously we're going to trade out a little bit of a of a of a of a a, a difference. Um, not having scent, um, scent is like missing a writer between between the three of us. Um, right. Yourself, me, and scent. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, so the piece that, um, the part of it that we'll be working with now is absent that, um, that ingredient. So to start court, if you can, um, if you can close your eyes, haha, um, I promise I won't, uh, look. <laughs> All right. Very clever. Um, <laughs> my eyes are uh, closed, although you don't know if that's true. That's true. I'll trust that your, uh, that your eyes are closed. Okay, Court. I have um, I have a couple uh, I have a couple questions sure. for you to answer um, to uh, uh, to to start us out, and um, we'll sort of take it from there. Sure. Um, so I'm going to list off a couple different uh, environments as a place to begin. Um, uh, of these environments that I list out, uh, I, I'd love you to pick the one that sparks a vivid image in your mind. Uh, you ready? Yes. A babbling brook, a cavernous canyon, a flickering fireside, a starry sky. Maybe flickering fireside. Flickering fireside. Yeah. Okay. Uh, lovely. So, as you're, as you're, that image that comes to mind, that flickering fireside. Tell me about that. What do you see? I'm seeing, uh, you know, I'm on a beach with my friends mm. uh, in high school. And there's a there's a fire on that beach. Um, a fire. So like a bonfire. Like a bonfire type thing. The fire is it is it large. Um, uh, is it, it's, are the flames, uh, high? Are they, are they low? Um, describe it to me. I'd say, uh, it's, um, it's not too high. It's not like a crazy bonfire. It's a, it's a mm. moderate fire. There's maybe some stones underneath it because it's a beach. So obviously you need that, like put something under that. Got mm -hmm. maybe a few branches from nearby, you know, mm. you know, shrubbery or whatever. And that's kind of yeah, yeah. It's not too kind big. Piece yeah, together. piece together. Um, yeah, I love that. That sort of patchwork of what you can find for uh, for tinder and kindling. Um, uh, so I take it it's at night. Yeah, it's at night. High tide or low tide? I think it's low. Low. So it's relatively relatively quiet. Is it a cold night that you're picturing? Um, I think are it's people a, bundled up, or is it? I think it's a summer's night. Summer night. Yeah. So a pleasant breeze um, that interacts with the with the fire, maybe stoking it a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Is this uh, is is uh, the group of friends? Are they are they quiet? Or are they boisterous? Um, tell me what's going on around there. I think they're a mix. Maybe there's a couple people chatting softly. There's a couple people maybe over by the the water. Laughing and joking. Yeah, Something yeah. The more uh, the more intimate conversations. That sort of maybe that person who's the life of the party, so to speak. The people who are just kind of off doing their own thing. I, I love it. I love it. Um, okay. 
Um, so if you can picture, um, picture yourself there, um, I take it if you have this memory in high school that you yourself are in, uh, are in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Describe yourself, uh, dis- uh, describe yourself, maybe the jacket or the, the shoes that you have on or barefoot. Probably barefoot on the beach. Um, summers, a t-shirt, shorts, probably. Shorts like trunks, like you might go into the water, or you're just you're just content to sit on the you're just content to be on the beach. Uh, probably a mix of both. So like, maybe they're like swim trunks. You could go in the water, but at this moment, are probably just on the beach. Mm-hmm. Sitting or standing? I think sitting. Okay, that's that's fantastic. So um. So let's picture you, you're sitting there, um, sitting there on the beach, uh, looking into the fire. Um, I'm going to give you another list of, uh, another list. Um, and this time as you hear them, um, think about the thing that, um, that calls you. I, it might be something that calls to you, um, in this moment or something that's a calling, you know, just a, a, a life thing that you might be ruminating on. Um, you ready? Yeah. You're going to give me options or? Yeah, I'm going to okay, give you okay, options. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, the discovery of a new music, a music that you've never heard before, before maybe the culture behind that music. Um, a witnessing, to witness something um, beautiful, either uh, intimate, um or or breathtaking and expansive or uh a triumph maybe a personal triumph something you've always wanted to do uh or a a well-known uh a well-known sort of conquest or something of legend to accomplish uh beyond that uh beyond or inclusive of a personal challenge does the triumph have to have happened already you could be desire. reflecting on a triumph, certainly. Could it be the desire for a triumph? Um, either, either, either one, whichever calls to you, truly. Okay. I'm thinking it's uh, desires for future triumphs. Desires for future triumphs. Is there, a, um, is there a specific future triumph that's there, or is it more just like, I want to do more with my life? I want to, um, you know, I, I want to... If it's high school, go away to college and and uh, take on the world. Yeah, I think it's more like the second one. The second one. Great. Okay, Court. So uh, you're sitting there at the beach. Your friends, um, your friends around you, and in various uh, to various degrees of of boisterousness, loudness, intimacy, connection. But you, you're looking at the fire. And as you're looking at the fire, you're thinking about this, where, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. And as you're looking at the fire that, that, um, you notice the, the light, the way that, um, the way that fire moves and, um, and shifts the light around it. It's not that constant light of say a bulb or a screen, but, uh, a lifelike light and as it flickers and adjusts you start to notice something on the ground and then realize that something's been sitting there or maybe it's just appeared there because you definitely didn't see it before it's a book a large book thick um old even ancient um and the other thing about it is that even though it's uh, in the, even though it's on the beach, it's not as if uh, it's not as if it's wet. It seems perfectly preserved. Um, do you see it? Yeah. What? Um, can you see the color in the in the firelight? Yeah, I think it's like a maroon for some reason. A maroon. Uh, so um where where is it in relation to you um to you and the fire like to the right between yeah between the fire and me over to the right 
So between the fire and you and uh, over the right. So you get up and uh, and you go over to it to inspect it more. Um, You pick it up. Uh, Maybe do you have to pull it out of the sand or is it just is it just placed on top of the sand as if it's just been waiting there in that way? I think it's maybe a little immersed in the sand to brush it off so, a little bit. Yeah, so you brush it off a little bit, but the odd thing is, again, it's not like it's um, as if it's retained the sand the way that your feet would be right. right now, the way that a blanket would. And as you have to, do you notice the texture? What texture is it? Uh, hmm. I feel like it's hard to describe. It's like a leathery texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, leathery... Uh, a hard leather, soft. Does it have a cushion to it, or a soft, a little worn? Yeah, soft, a little bit worn. Um, and uh, so you look at it, and you open the you open the page, you open the page, the you open the book to the first page, and as you do, there's that crack um, from the book's spine from a book that hasn't been opened in a long time, if ever. Um, and as you do, you feel a stillness all around you. Not uh, as if everything were frozen, per se. It just seems like everything has gone quiet. Not that everything's even focusing on you, but the tide seems to stop. The conversation seems to go, seem to go away as you look down at the book. You look down, and the... The writing, the print is, it's either that the print is so old and, and different that it's hard to make out, or it may well be in a different language. Um, you, can't quite, you, you can't quite read it, but what does stand out is the, the ink. The ink seems to reflect on the, the fire, though the fire is going slower now. Like there's a glisten to it, as if it's new. Even in this ancient, ancient book. So you scrutinize the ink and you go up to the first sentence, over to the first word, and to the first letter. That first letter, it's larger than all of the others, as that sort in that sort of once upon a time font, as those books often are. And there's a filigree uh, around it, something like a, a picture. Um, uh, you know, the way that there seems to be a tapestry uh, around, uh, around the first large letter. And you try to make out the, the picture that, um, that is around this letter. Maybe that will give you a clue. And as you, um, you, read, you read into it, you look into it, the letter starts to become clear to you. And as the letter starts to become clear to you, everything else fades away. And you find yourself in that in-between space, that space just before the imagination takes hold. And unlike oftentimes when we start to read, you find yourself sitting here in this space in between you were actually if it were possible you seem to be surrounded by the ink it it doesn't stifle you you can actually breathe it just as much as you could the the salt air but more more fluidly the ink seems to support you and as you think that, that the ink seems to support you fluidly uh, going in and out of your breath, you realize you yourself are literally being supported. You're, you're hovering, um, but not in the hovering in a way where you feel like you could be dropped. You look to your left, your right, just that blackness, up and down, just this blackness in between. And when you feel at home here, Court, when you feel ready, I want you to say 
I'm ready. I'm ready. Just as you hear yourself say those words, a light flickers. It's like the firelight that you saw, but, but, but different. So not that bright light at an end of a tunnel, but something off in the, in the distance. Now you're no longer holding the book, so you start to walk towards it. And the, this blackness of the in-between, it, it, it holds you like water um, to the extent where you, you have to use your whole body to, to move through it. Um, and, and as you get closer to the light, it seems like it, it holds on to you a little bit more like gravity does, um, or the way that a river might flow against you. So you have to, to, to wade through, to swim through, to climb through, to get to this, to this light. And just at the point where you feel like it might sweep you away, like you can't go any further, you, you reach out to this light and and touch it and it's as if there's a veil in front of it and as you touch it you find yourself on firm ground in a room and you hear a voice say welcome the room has no furnishing um, and no source of light though it seems perfectly well lit and Hovering in its center is an orb. You walk up to the orb, and it doesn't seem like it's not of light. It's very, very tangible. And as, as you start to inspect it, you notice what you think is a crack at first. And then you realize, wait, it's a river, a river flowing into a coastline into an ocean and as you realize that color comes alive and you look at the ocean the beach and it's different from the beach even that you were on similar but but very different um you realize court that this place this space that you're in is it's for lack of a better word it's magic and as you realize that you notice the difference in that beach compared to the beach you were standing in is that there's magic there. Describe to me the way from far away that the beach looks now. Uh, I guess it's more, uh, I guess, hazy. I don't know the right word for it. Yeah, like a little bit of a mist. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you so you see the mist and the in the same way that um, that we're able to see from far away um, uh, the a source of light uh, you, you see light dawn over the beach um, you see it go past the beach and to spread on from the mist up the river what do you see. Maybe a bird? A bird that flies um, that flies across your view. So you look at the bird and you follow the bird. And as the bird flies over, you notice plains, forests, mountains as it flies. And you realize that as you notice these things, they're actually appearing. Uh, as you think about them, they, they come to life. So I want you to to think about the places about places that you might always want to see but haven't had the chance to yet. And as the bird flies, the world rotates. It starts to come alive. And you see uh, other birds and you start to see people Places, villages, towns, castles. And then you realize if you have control over this place, 
this magic place, then you can make something that's not bound by by any other non-magical rules. And I want you to start placing magic throughout this world as it as it rotates, uh, hidden in different places. Maybe it's something like uh, grass that um, that whistles when the wind blows or a waterfall that flows upward, a cave with crystals in it that are larger than skyscrapers. And as you see these secrets, for lack of a better word, spread throughout the world, you take a step back and see this globe slows down as if satisfied with what you've given it. So we just went through the um, part of the introduction to Tales by Candlelight. Um, uh, it's the experiential script is um, written about uh, is written through connecting whoever walks through the door um, and um, providing them with different tools to go on the hero's journey. Um, and that the same thing applies actually to the guests and the host. So there is an experiential script. People go on on an experience. The 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 thing is, um, there's a plan, but not an agenda. We're we're more like uh, we're like guides. Uh, Tales by Candlelight is is based largely um, or inspired largely by um, uh, uh, RPG tabletop art uh, role playing games, uh, um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it definitely um, feels like that. So um, to the extent that my collaborator there, Christoph Fischer, um, owns Cantrip Candles, which is uh, scented candles for tabletop roleplay, which is how scent oh, cool. starts to figure into what we do. Um, Guests and those make music. My collaborator there is uh, Herringer, who was in, who, uh, who was in uh, Milo Green and is a music producer. Um, so his music produ uh, production and songs feature into, um, into that. So uh, in that way, we um, uh, we mine out of out of you the way that we describe it is the the song that you didn't know you had in you the story you didn't know you had in you and then we tell that with you. Love it. That being said, I guess the last question we always ask seemingly random questions. The one seemingly random question for you following uh -huh. this immersive experience is: What is one piece of advice from your career based on? all of your learnings, all of your experience working on these immersive experiences that you'd like to pass on to those writers out there, whether they're writing in immersive or whether they're writing in other genres, what would you say the one thing is? Um, I would say, listen, um, my, uh, my work, uh, I had a breakthrough when I stopped trying to, um, to make and produce the pieces that I wanted and started to produce the pieces that I had. Um, I don't, you don't direct the play you want, you direct the play you have. But that had to do with um, looking at what was, um, at what was around me and honoring and, and, um, and framing and working with that. Um, as, as a writer, um, I'm a person who needs collaborators uh, to get out of my to get out of my own head and to make something that I don't feel is uh, uh, to, the crude version of it is masturbatory. Um, so I, I would say find a source, find something that you um, that you love that's outside of yourself, um, and and then find the way to honor um, frame. Uh, structure that and pay attention to the things that um, that don't make sense to you uh, because that's 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 what's gonna that's what pushes your work beyond making the same thing time and again and it's what um, pushes you into uh, participating in what I was taught was the most important part of any artwork which is uh, communication communion um, uh, yeah, so that's that's it. Thank you. Thank, um, thank you.
And thank you for bringing me on an experience. This has been a really, really interesting one, even more interesting than I anticipated. I didn't know if I would be going through an experience or not, but I appreciate you guiding me through it. Obviously, Tales by Candlelight and the guest and the host are out right now. If people are listening now and want to experience these experiences that you've been describing, where can they go to find you? What's the website? Tell us where to go. The single hub is towalkthenight.com, T-O-walkthenight.com. And uh, you can access both of those pieces. They're all by, um, they're all by appointment. I think of it like a, an immersive tattoo artist. So, um, uh, you know, I know that they're going on, uh, they're going on right now. So far, so good. Um, if you have tickets to Hearfest, then you'll be able to, to, um, to experience it, uh, there. I'm pretty sure. I don't, I think that those are just about sold out now, but if not, there's, it's Tales by Candlelight and a whole slew of, of other fantastic pieces that I'm honored to be a part of, uh, or a monk, I should say. Um, but other than that, yeah, you can book a session, your own session. Thank you, Spencer. Really appreciate you and, and sharing all this information and walking us through it. It was so immersive. We had to abruptly kind of come to an end, but that being said, maybe we can have you back on sometime to kind of talk about hey. some of the projects in the future. Yeah, I'd love to. Amazing. Thank you so much for your insights, your time, and thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.